Hello everyone. Welcome to the Rigs podcast. I'm your host Sonam Engdin. We hope you had a chance to listen to our introductory episode of this series on the institution of Bhutanese monarchy where Dr. Dr. Sonam Kinga gave us a sense of where we stand today as a monarchy in the global community of nations through a comparative perspective. In this episode, he questions prevailing ideas of monarchy as ancient, divinely ordained, feudal and irrelevant for modern society. and explains that the Bhutanese monarchy on the contrary is modern in ideological foundation and institutional design. He unpacks many assumptions and simplistic accounts of monarchy which are based on Western experiences and then demonstrates the complexity surrounding this institution. His comparative approach enables us to develop deeper understanding about many aspects of our monarchy which were either unknown to us or taken for granted. We hope you will find this episode educative and enlightening to gain a deeper appreciation of why and how Bhutan's monarchy is dynamic, modern and one of a kind. In this episode, I would like to discuss about the modernity of Bhutanese monarchy. The first question we need to ask is why bother talking even about the modernity of monarchy? Isn't it something given or is it something that's taken for granted? The basis of this talk is a body of scholarship, kingship studies, as well as the view that an institution like monarchy, which has been in existence for thousands of years, is actually old-fashioned. is traditional feudal in orientation divinely ordained and therefore not suitable for organizing modern socio political life in a way monarchies today are seen as an anachronism so based on this perspective there are two subsequent thinking that if monarchies are present as they are in the 21st century it is just that they are hanging on that they are surviving but at some point of time they will be abolished or they will disappear the other perspective is that if they have managed to survive it is because they have made the transition to a modern form which is the constitutional form of monarchy what it is saying is that before making the transition monarchies have been absolute i am going to discuss and problematize this simplistic thinking about monarchies in the 21st century as being mere survivors of an old institution and that they have just modernized into constitutional form bhutan's monarchy was founded in 1907 when gongsa ugyeongwachu was enthroned as the first king and then a hereditary succession principle was adopted in the beginning of the 20th century many monarchies elsewhere in the world were disappearing When monarchy was established in Bhutan it has also been part of an overall trend or a pattern where new monarchies were being established in the 20th century and i think this perspective has largely been missed from this body of kingship studies as well as discourses in social and political science 1905 Norway which had entered a union with Sweden broke that union and established itself as a separate monarchy In 1914 new monarchies were established in Egypt and in Albania by 1940s the Albanian monarchy was gone 
Even in Egypt, the monarchy did not last. In 1921, monarchies were established in Jordan and Iraq. The Jordanian monarchy of the Hashimite family is a successful monarchy in the Middle East today, whereas that of Iraq did not last. In Yemen, a monarchy was established in 1926, but did not last long. We can also look at monarchies being established in 1971 in the case of the United Arab Emirates. So I have just mentioned a few countries in which monarchies were established in the 20th century. Some of them continue to prosper while a few others have not succeeded. But the fact remains that monarchies were established in the 20th century and that they were not just survivors from an ancient age and just managing to hang on. There is another perspective that in the 20th century, yes, monarchies were abolished, but they were restored. We can think of Spain when General Franco abolished in 1939, but after his death in 1974, monarchy was restored in Spain. In Cambodia, abolished in 1960s, restored in early 1990s. In 1960s, Sub-national monarchies in Uganda were abolished but restored constitutionally in 1990s. Again, there are countries where referendums, popular vote, have been taken to decide on the question of whether a country should remain a monarchy or whether they should transition to become a republic. The classic case is Australia in 1999 when they decided still to retain the Queen of United Kingdom as Australian head of state. So we must position Bhutan's monarchy within this overall historical development of new monarchies being established in 20th century, being restored and decisions being taken to retain. Today there are in Serbia and in Montenegro movements calling for the restoration of monarchies. There are royalist parties in Russia and in Nepal whose vision is to restore monarchy. Having argued that monarchies are not mere survivors, that they have been established in the 20th century, I will now discuss this general tendency to categorize monarchies either as absolute or constitutional. As I mentioned earlier, one mode or one means of modernizing a monarchy is seen to be the making of transition to a constitutional form. But it presupposes that monarchies before have been absolute. Beyond absolute and constitutional monarchy are other forms such as federal monarchy, diarchic monarchy, elective monarchy. In Cambodia, the king is appointed by a royal council constituted by the Prime Minister, President and Speakers of two houses as well as their Deputy Speakers. After the King abdicates or passes away, the Council decides from amongst the royal family members who is the most capable to succeed. Similar model is now being thought of in Saudi Arabia. Look at federal monarchies in the cases of UAE and Malaysia. The Federation of Malaysia is constituted by nine sub-national monarchies and four other provinces which are not monarchies. But they enter into a federation to constitute the Federation of Malaysia, just like the seven emirates of the United Arab Emirates entered into a union. In Malaysia, the king or Agong reigns for a tenure 
of five years. At the end of his tenure, the nine rulers of the monarchical provinces convene a conference of rulers in order to vote for the next monarch. Although this conference is merely symbolic and the senior most ruler is usually elected as the successor, there is the involvement of a symbolic ritual of election. There is also called the diarchic monarchy in Andorra. The kingdom of Andorra located between France and Spain has president of France as its co-monarch, the other being the bishop of Urkel in Catalonia from Spain. If you look at Switzerland, the powers of the monarchy are shared between the monarch and the queen mother. After a monarch abdicates or passes away, a council of chiefs decides who should be the next queen mother and Hassan is enthroned as the king. So that is a classic case of diarchic monarchy. We need to ask ourselves, where does Bhutan fit? Is it constitutional? Yes, it is a constitutional monarchy. Has it been absolute? I will argue against it later. Is it elective? It isn't. Is it appointed? It isn't. Is it diarchic? We can say no. Although some people tend to think that the dual system of governance we have since the time of Shabdung that flows into the constitution suggests a kind of a diarchic monarchy, but it isn't. And I say this because whether it was Shabdung Rinpoche or whether it was his representatives later known as the Gatsabs or whether it is His Majesty the King, both political power exercised by the elected government and the spiritual power administered by the religious body is in principle derived from the persona of His Majesty the King. So we cannot qualify it as a diarchic monarchy. What is it then? When Ugyawanchu was enthroned in 1907, a contract, an agreement was signed among the monastic body, the state councillors which constituted the cabinet of those days, senior public servants, junior public servants and representatives of different communities in the country. The fact that different groups of Bhutanese society came together and entered into a legal contract with the then Tongsa Penlop to enthrone him as the monarch and recognize his descendants as hereditary successors point to a totally new political development unheard of elsewhere especially in relation to the establishment of monarchies. I have made reference to the idea of absolute monarchy earlier. This idea was founded on the belief that monarchs are representatives of gods on earth and hence they enjoyed absolute powers to reign over their people and remained only accountable to the god in heaven, not to their people on earth, known as the divine rights of kings. This divinely ordained concept of absolute monarchy was increasingly questioned and rejected in Europe during what was called the Age of Enlightenment. So people demanded that monarchs must have the people's consent to govern. Revolutions broke out to build new political systems based on this new belief. Yes, we have ancient prophecies that predict the coming of Ugyawanchu. Yes, we know that Ugyawanchu belongs to the illustrious family of Tertan Pema Lingpa, a foremost Buddhist master and a discoverer of sacred treasures. 
1907, neither were those prophecies invoked, nor was his membership to this lineage of illustrious family referred to build up a legitimacy. What simply happened was that the leaders and the people and monastic community came together and gave him their consent, their agreement for him to be king and succession to be hereditary. Anchoring the legitimacy of a regime in popular support is actually a very modern aspect of governance. And that is what happened in 1907. There is also something else that happened. Between 1651 and 1904, Bhutan was a the monastic regime. After the founder, Namgyal passed away in 1651, he was succeeded starting 1681 by a series of representatives called Gatsaps. There were 16 of them. Who were these Gatsaps or representatives of Shabdunamboche? The mind reincarnations. Speech reincarnations of Shabdun Rinpoche, reincarnations of his son Kelsey Jambal Dawji, as well as the reincarnation of a close family scion, Gesi Tenzin Rabge, were enthroned as Gatsaps. The idea of succession was based on reincarnation. Of course, most of the Gatsaps were enthroned at a very young age, and power was exercised more by civil rulers known as Druk Desis, of which there were 59. And the spiritual authority was exercised by the chief abbot whom we know and revere as the J. Kimbo. In 1907, when Uge Wangchu was enthroned, the offices of the Druk Desi and the Gelsab ceased to exist. The Druk Gelpo now became both the head of the state and head of the government. In European intellectual terms, the Bhutanese head of state becomes secular. So this move towards a more secular mode of regime also establishes the modernity of Bhutanese monarchy. For Bhutan, one of the most important tasks in the beginning of the 20th century was to consolidate the new state and actually ensure its survival. Owing to geopolitical developments, there were threats that jeopardized, that endangered Bhutanese security and sovereignty. The survival of Bhutan as a sovereign state in a turbulent century, in a turbulent region, is a remarkable achievement of the successive kings of Bhutan. Beginning the third king's reign, we see tremendous efforts directed towards the modernization of society. What I am trying to say is how the kings now become the agency of modernizing Bhutanese society. And we can have many examples roped in to attest to this argument. It is common knowledge how the third king launched the construction of roads, the introduction of modern public education, the building of a health system, communications. I am not going to talk about this here as many articles and books have already been written about them. I will just cite a few examples to establish how the kings played the role of a modernizing agency. It was the third king who abolished serfdom in the 1950s. 
Bhutan was not a feudal society, but there were aspects of feudalism where some aristocratic families and nobilities owned serfs. It was the monarchy who abolished serfdom and gave the serfs private lands in providing lands to serfs and also to landless people and in fixing land ceilings the third king the fourth king and his majesty the king today have demonstrated how monarchy becomes an agency not just of modernization but of social equalizer it was the monarchy that abolished capital punishment in Bhutan. I mean, views elsewhere talk about how monarchy may not be the right political institution for defending human rights. But researchers and scholarship have shown now that monarchy may be the best institutional guarantee for private property as well as human rights. I go back to my earlier point that there is this thinking about how the constitutional form of monarchy is deemed to be modern. Bhutan's monarchy, as I said, have come into being by the signing of a contract. The contract itself creates a condition of limitation. I mean, you are in an agreement with members of the rest of the society. As Buddhist kings or Chögyal, Chögyi Gyabo, there is this expectation from society as to how a Buddhist king should conduct governance in compliance to Buddhist precepts, righteous reign, adhering to Buddhist principles. This societal expectation itself conditions the space within which a Buddhist king governs. The constitutional means of modernizing Bhutanese kingship happens when the third king first established the National Assembly in 1953. This law-making institution was first an advisory or a conciliar body, it became more popular and sovereign both in terms of representation of the people and the powers it enjoyed. After 1968, at his own behest, His Majesty the Third King decreed that the decisions of the National Assembly will be final and binding. We see a relocation of the idea of sovereignty from the King to the Parliament. It was also in 1968 when the third king proposed constitutionalizing the monarchy by having in the parliament a mechanism of registering a vote of confidence every three years in the king and at least two rounds of vote of confidence were held in 1968 and 1971. This proposal was at king's own behest, not something that was demanded for by the people. Although this mechanism was Dispensed by the National Assembly in 1970s, the fourth king restored it in 1999 during historic political reforms. He took it a step further without putting a limit on the number of years. If the National Assembly feels that a vote of confidence had to be moved, they don't have to now wait for two or three years. This spirit has been further taken now into Bhutan's constitution, promulgated in 2008, that... The parliament can move a motion for abdication. Now, when we talk about constitutional monarchies, there is a trade-off. There is a deal whereby the monarch is a symbolic head of state and the powers are exercised by the parliament and the cabinet. Because they exercise powers, their tenure are fixed. They are subject to vote of no confidence. Because 
the monarchs have devolved the power to parliament and political parties. The monarch is above parliamentary mechanism of vote of no confidence or a tenure. The monarch reigns for life. But in Bhutan, it has been taken a step further. The monarch is a constitutional head and yet a motion for abdication can be moved. This is something that hasn't happened elsewhere. Not only is there a constitutional provision for a motion for abdication, tenure has also been defined. The successor to the throne can become king at the age of 21 and then have to abdicate at the age of 65. So there is a tenure of 44 years. Many people would think that this is going too far, that Bhutanese monarchies have given too much, but these constitutional provisions and parliamentary mechanisms have been instituted by the Bhutanese monarch following a tradition of gradual but steady devolution of power to the people. So what I have tried to do in this session is establish the fact that Bhutanese monarchy is modern. The fact that the Bhutanese monarchy was established in the 20th century, a modern period, a modern time that its ideological foundation was not derived from divinity, but based on a contract and popular support. The fact that successive monarchs have become the agency of modernization, that the Bhutanese monarchy, in fact, were never absolute, that the contractual terms, that the idea of a Buddhist kingship, that the legal and constitutional provisions had spaces that were defined. These attributes, these aspects of the Bhutanese monarchy not only made it modern, but the modernity has been taken further in Bhutan's new constitution. For Bhutan, therefore, the resilience of the monarchy and its renewal through continuous process of reforms which it initiated despite the absence of popular demand makes it a very relevant political institution and more so as a symbol of unity for Bhutan which is geographically and demographically small but quite huge in terms of the mix of ethno-linguistic diversity as well as religious faith. In my next episode, I will discuss the actual text of the Genja of 1907. What is the format of this Genja? What is the content and what flowed out of that Genja that defined Bhutan as a modern nation state? Thank you. With this, we come to the end of this episode on the modernity of the Bhutanese monarchy. We would like to thank Dashu for sharing information, analysis and perspectives from his ongoing research work on Buddhist kingship and modern monarchy. We hope you enjoyed the talk as much as we did. Please don't miss the final episode of this series on the historical Genja or the contractual document of 1907 which led to the establishment of monarchy. For the first time, we will have an opportunity to really go into the short text of the Genja which, as Tasha explains, is saturated and dense in meanings and symbolism. He explains its format, content and significance and brings to life this historic document which remained fossilized in popular medium and imagination as a sacred document defined by numerous circular seals. 